Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious, then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Five Most Horrifying and True Halloween Stories Halloween is a chance for everyone to dress up, go to parties, and get spooked for fun. But every once in a while, this ominous holiday can bring out the worst in people. The next five stories will be disturbing and may make you cringe. While you enjoy playing pretend, for those involved in this list, Halloween will never be fun again. Here are five of the most horrifying and true Halloween stories. Number five, Ronald Clark O'Brien. Nicknamed as the Candyman, Ronald Clark might have been forgotten by history, but his crime has shaped how we celebrate Halloween today. It was Halloween night, 1974. The O'Brien family, Ronald, Timothy, Elizabeth, and Ronald's wife, went to dinner at Jim Bates' house, a family friend. Afterwards, the two O'Briens and Bates' children, accompanied by their dads, went trick-or-treating. Jim would sit on the sidewalk while the kids and Ronald would approach the door for treats. At one of the houses, the door was concealed from the sidewalk, so Jim couldn't see them. When the kids rang the doorbell, no one answered, and they ran off to the next house. Ronald, however, appeared a few moments later producing five pixie stick straws, each filled with flavored candy that he said the homeowners wanted the children to have. Ronald distributed the candy to his son, daughter, two Bates children, and another neighborhood kid that went with them. At home, both O'Brien children were given permission to eat their candy. Elizabeth didn't eat her pixie stick, but Timothy did. The moment he swallowed it, he complained it tasted bitter, and so Ronald gave him some Kool-Aid to wash it down. The boy began vomiting and then going into convulsions. They rushed him to the hospital, but he died shortly after arriving. The cause of death was cyanide poisoning. Ronald looked like a grieving parent, even giving out the eulogy during the funeral, but police soon suspected him because just days after his son's death, Ronald attempted to cash in on the insurance policy he had on Timothy. When police started digging, they found out that Ronald had hit hard financial times. Also, his co-workers mentioned he had been asking about cyanide in the months before. The mounting evidence led to Ronald's arrest, and he was ultimately sentenced to death. Luckily, none of the other kids ate the pixie sticks from that night. However, the damage had been done. People in Deer Park, Texas refused to celebrate or take their children trick-or-treating for years after the incident. Even today, parents diligently inspect the candy that their children receive in fear that among all those tasty treats, there could be one that might kill them. Number four, Eric Koppel, Napa Killings. It was the early morning of November 1st, just after Halloween. Adrian Insagna, an athletic civil engineer, along with her roommate, Leanne Mazzara, a former beauty queen, were brutally stabbed inside their home. In the weeks after the incident, the police were stumped. 
They found DNA evidence at the scene after one of the victims managed to wound the assailant. They matched that to DNA found on several cigarette butts outside the victim's home. It appeared the killer had stood smoking for a while, watching the people inside before carrying on with his plan. One unusual aspect was the cigarette brand was unique. They were Camel Turkish Gold. The police released this information to the public, hoping the brand would trigger a store clerk or someone's memory. Napa native 27-year-old Eric Koppel arrived at the Napa Police Headquarters, where he told police detective Todd Shulman, I killed Adrian and Leslie. So who is Eric Koppel and how is he connected to the victims? He was a quiet and meticulous man who worked as a land surveyor. During the time of the murder, he was engaged to a woman named Lily, and they got married just a few months after the incident. Lily's best friend was Adrian and Sagna. In the early morning hours just after Halloween night, when Eric was sure everyone inside was asleep, he climbed into the home via a kitchen window, then headed up to the second floor and stabbed both women multiple times. A third roommate who was sleeping in the downstairs bedroom heard the screams and managed to escape in her car and then called police. Eric's reason for the killings have never been disclosed and he maintains he doesn't remember anything from that night claiming he was in some altered state of consciousness. However, he was lucid enough to ditch the murder weapon as well as burn his clothes in a fire pit after the crime. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Number three, Aaron Thomas, the East Coast Rapist. Trick-or-treating is a fun tradition for many Halloween lovers Kids and even teens participate in the tradition, going door to door in their neighborhood for candies and sweets. But true to lore, Halloween can be a very scary night. Such was the case for three teenage girls from Prince William County, Virginia. In 2009, the three girls, one 16-year-old and two 17-year-olds, were out trick-or-treating when they were threatened by a black male. All three were then forced into the woods, where he then proceeded to rape two of them for over an hour. The younger girl was able to text her mother during the time and in turn, her mother called the police. The perpetrator immediately fled upon hearing the oncoming sirens. It wasn't until March 2011 when they finally caught the man responsible, Aaron Thomas. When they secured his DNA and ran it in the database, it was shown that Thomas had committed crimes dating back to 1997. He has since been dubbed the East Coast Rapist since the majority of his crimes he committed were around Maryland, Connecticut, Virginia, and Rhode Island. In total, Thomas was found to have raped and beaten 17 victims, however more believed yet to have come forward. His MO would be to follow and track the women he chose and then approach the victim, usually in an open area, chat them up for a bit before forcing them to a more secluded place in order to rape them. He has used guns, knives, a broken bottle, and a screwdriver as weapons, and in more than one occasion, raped more than one victim in the same incident. When asked why he did it, Thomas said, It's awful. It's scary. I don't know why I couldn't just stop. Aaron Thomas pled guilty and was sentenced to three life terms plus 80 years for the attacks on Halloween in 2009. Number 2. Martha Moxley 
It was October 30, 1975 in the affluent community of Bell Haven in Greenwich, Connecticut, and Martha Moxley and her friends were preparing for a night of pranks. It was Halloween after all, but the night wouldn't end well for Moxley. After some hijinks in town, Martha and her friends went to the Skakel house, which was only 150 yards from where she lived. The Skakels were an affluent family with ties to the Kennedys. Around the neighborhood, the Skakel brothers were famous for being unruly boys. Between 9.30 and 11 that night, Martha left the Skakel home. She was found the next day in her own backyard, dead. Her jeans and underwear had been pulled down, but no sign of sexual assault was reported. Martha had been bludgeoned using a six-iron golf club. She was hit so hard that the shaft shattered, and the jagged piece was then used to stab her in the neck. Police later found out that the expensive club had belonged to the Skakels. Tommy, who was 17 at the time, was one of several suspects since he was the person last seen with Martha. In her diary, she noted that she had fended off several attempts by Tommy to get to first and second base with her. Other suspects emerged as well. The Skakels' 24-year-old live-in tutor, Kenneth Littleton, and several transients from Interstate 95 were also considered. Tommy's brother Michael was also questioned and suspected because they both had weak alibis. But with no solid proof, over time the case grew cold. It wasn't until 1991, when William Kennedy Smith was tried and acquitted of rape, that a renewed interest grew about the Moxley case. A private detective agency, Sutton Associates, was hired by Rushton Skakel to conduct an independent investigation about the case. Later on, the report from the investigation was leaked, and it showed that both Tommy and Michael had changed their stories on the night that Martha was killed. By 1998, in a rare event, a one-man grand jury was invoked. Its task was to review the evidence in the Moxley case, and after an 18-month investigation, stated there was enough evidence to charge Michael with the murder. Although Michael was a suspect, it wasn't until two Elan school students, which was a center for troubled youth that Michael was once admitted to, testified that he had proclaimed to killing Martha Moxley by saying, I can get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. In June of 2002, Michael was found guilty for the brutal murder of Martha and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Michael's camp filed several appeals, but most were denied. By 2013, he was granted a new trial by Connecticut Judge Thomas A. Bishop, citing that his attorney, Michael Sherman, inadequately represented him. He was released on a bond of $1.2 million under the provisions that he can't leave Connecticut without permission, must wear a GPS device at all times, and not have any contact with the Moxley family. He is still awaiting a retrial to this day. Number 1. Peter Fabiano Halloween night in 1957. It was a little after 11 p.m. when salon owner Peter Fabiano's doorbell rang. He thought it was just an errant trick-or-treater, saying as he was opening the door, It's a little late for this, isn't it? The voice replied, No, and then lifted the brown paper bag with both hands and shot Peter in the chest. His wife, Betty, found him dying on the floor, and he was rushed to the hospital but passed away on the ride. When police investigated Peter's background, they couldn't find anything that might make him a possible target. However, Betty had an idea on who could possibly harm Peter. It was a friend of the family, photographer Joan Rebell. 
Joan once worked at one of Peter's salons. She became such a close friend of the family that when Betty and Peter hit a rough patch, Betty moved in with her. Over time, the two ladies got involved romantically. Later on, Betty got back together with Peter, and he accepted her on one condition, that she stopped seeing Joan. Police soon picked up Rebel for questioning, but couldn't find any evidence to hold her accountable. Later on, the murder weapon was discovered hidden inside a department store locker. They traced the owner of the locker, and that's where they found Goldine Pizer. Pizer was the daughter of German immigrants and worked as a secretary. She was married but then divorced because she was a lesbian, and it was then that she met Joan. It was Pizer who had knocked on the door that night and shot Peter. When asked about her motive, she said, I had no motive, personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I've been impressionable and always trusting. At their trial, both women pleaded innocent. They were both charged with first-degree murder, and it was reduced to second-degree murder after they made a plea deal. They only served five years in prison and continued to live together after that. So those were five of the most horrifying and true Halloween stories. Halloween is a time to scare one another, and all of these cases most likely did just that. Hope you enjoy your Halloween and stay safe out there. You never know who could be lurking around the next corner, or even show up on your doorstep. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.